0: Chapter 13 of The Gloved Hand by Burton E. Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 13. Francisco Silva. It was not quite 10 o'clock when Godfrey and I turned in at the gates of Elmhurst next morning and found our way up the drive to the house but in the library we found a considerable company already assembled goldberger was there with Freilinghuysen, his physician, his clerk, his stenographer, and then the men who were to constitute the jury. Simmons was there, and with him was an alert little man in glasses, who, Godfrey told me in an aside, was Sylvester, the head of the Identification Bureau, and the greatest expert on fingerprints in America. The district attorney had sent up an assistant also, with a stenographer, and altogether the room was decidedly crowded. It became impossible a moment later when a string of automobiles puffed up the drive and disgorged a mob of reporters and photographers. As many as the room would hold pushed into it, and the others stood outside in the drive and complained loudly. The complaints of the photographers were especially varied and forceful. Goldberger looked around him in despair, mopping his face angrily, for the crowded room was very hot. "'You fellows will have to get out of here,' he said to the reporters. "'There's no room.' i'll give you a transcript of the proceedings after they're over the protests redoubled how were they to get any human interest out of a transcript besides there were the photographers what did he expect them to do photograph the transcript and finally the law required that the hearing be public so they had a right to be present it was a tense moment the more so since goldberger was by no means insensible of the value of newspaper popularity to a man in public life why not go out on the lawn godfrey suggested it's only a question of moving some chairs and tables and the boys will all lend a hand the boys applauded almost forgiving godfrey his scoop protested their entire willingness to lend two hands if necessary and when goldberger nodded his approval fell to work with a will the lower floor of the house was denuded the garden seats pressed into service and at the end of five minutes the court was established amid the circle of trees the reporters had their coats off and their pipes lighted the photographers ditto, and their cameras placed. Good humor was restored. Peace reigned, and Goldberger smiled again, for he knew that the adjectives with which the reporters would qualify his name would be complimentary ones. He took his place, rapped for order, and instructed his clerk to swear the jury. Nobody paid much attention to the jury, for it was a recognized device for paying small political debts, and its verdict was usually in strict accordance with the wishes of the presiding officer." Then Goldberger looked at the vacant chair which I had kept beside me. "'By the way, Mr. Lester,' he said, "'I don't see Mr. Swain.' "'He had to go back to the city last night,' I explained, "'to get some fresh clothes. "'He had an errand or two to do this morning, "'and may have been detained. "'I left word at the house for him to come over here at once.' "'You seem to have a good deal of confidence in him,' Goldberger remarked. "'I have,' I answered quietly. "'A great deal.' goldberger frowned a little but proceeded to open the case without further delay godfrey was the first witness and told his story much as he had told it the night before i followed him but contributed no new details both of us were excused without cross-examination to my great satisfaction swain arrived while i was testifying and i could not deny myself a triumphant glance at goldberger but he was studying some memoranda and affected not to notice it As soon as I left the stand, Swain came and sat down beside me and gave me a letter. It was addressed to Miss Vaughn. "'It's from Mrs. Royce,' he said. "'She's a trump. She's determined that Marjorie shall come to her. She says if you don't bring her, she'll come after her herself. Do you know how she is this morning?' "'No,' I said. "'I haven't seen Hinman. But how are you?' "'Oh, I'm all right again. Head a little sore where I bumped it, but otherwise fit as a fiddle.' you look it i said and i was glad because i wanted him to make a good impression on the stand i knew what weight appearances often had and no jury i told myself would believe that this bright-eyed fresh-coloured boy could have had any hand in a brutal murder just then hinman's name was called and an officer hurried away to the house after him they returned together almost at once and hinman was placed on the stand he told of being summoned by godfrey and of the events which followed he said that the murder had been committed about midnight that death had been due to strangulation and identified the cord and the blood-stained handkerchief which the coroner submitted to him i fancied that swain lost a little of his colour when he saw the handkerchief and learned where it had been found but he made no remark will miss vaughan be able to testify goldberger inquired just before the doctor stepped down "'Unless it is absolutely necessary, I think she would better be excused,' Hinman answered. "'She is still very nervous. The ordeal might cause a serious collapse.' "'We will try to get along without her,' assented Goldberger. "'If necessary, I can take her deposition. Is she in bed?' "'Yes. I am keeping her as quiet as possible.' "'Very well. We won't disturb her,' said Goldberger, and Hinman was excused. And Frilinghoisen called. He merely testified to the cause of death, and that the autopsy had shown that the deceased was in fair health and without organic disease then the servants were called but their evidence was unimportant they had gone to bed about ten o'clock and had not awakened until the coroner himself had pounded at the door they had heard no unusual sound yes they had slept with their doors locked and the windows shuttered because that was the rule of the house yes even in the hottest weather that made no difference since each of their rooms was fitted with a ventilator Questioned as to the manner of life of the other inmates of the house, the German and his wife were non-committal. They had been with the family a long time, had taken care of the place when their master was abroad. Only after his return had it been necessary to get another servant. He had been at home for a year, and the Hindus had arrived about six months later. Yes, they knew their master was studying some strange religion, but that was no affair of theirs, and they had never seen anything wrong. He had always treated them well, was a little strange and absent-minded at times, but neither of them really saw much of him. He never interfered in the household affairs, Miss Vaughan giving such instructions as were necessary. The man spent most of his time in the grounds, and the woman in the kitchen. She was a little petulant over the fact that one of the Hindus, the ugly one, refused to eat her cooking, but insisted on preparing his own food. Also the housemaid had told her that there was a snake she had never seen it from the irish housemaid a little more information was obtained neither mr vaughan nor the yogi ate any breakfast indeed they rarely left their rooms before noon the other hindu mixed himself up some sort of mess over the kitchen stove miss vaughan breakfasted alone at nine o'clock at such times she was accustomed to talk over household affairs with the maid and after breakfast would visit the kitchen and make a tour of the grounds and garden The remainder of her day would be spent in reading, in playing the piano, in doing little household tasks, or in walking about the grounds with her father. Yes, sometimes the yogi would join them, and there would be long discussions. After dinner in the library there would also be long discussions, but the girl had no idea what they were about. She heard a fragment of them occasionally, but had never been able to make anything of them in fact from the way they dressed and all she had come to the conclusion that mr vaughan and the yogi were both a little crazy but quite inoffensive and harmless and how about miss vaughan asked the coroner miss vaughan bless her heart wasn't crazy said the girl quickly not a bit of it she was just sad and lonely and who wouldn't be she never went out in the five months i've been here she's never been off the place and them front gates was never opened to let anybody in the only people who came in were the grocer and milkman and such like through the little door at the side. You say you have been here 5 months? Yes sir. And how did you come to apply for the place? I didn't apply for it. I was sent here by an employment bureau. Miss Marjorie engaged me. I didn't see the hindus till afterwards, or I don't think I'd have took it. After that I stayed for Miss Marjorie's sake. You thought she needed you? Yes I did with her father mooning around in a kind of trance and the yogi looking at her with eyes like live coals and a snake that stood on its tail and the other niger going around with nothing on but a diaper i thought she needed somebody to look after her and says i annie Krogan, you're the girl to do it there was a ripple of laughter and the pencils of the reporters flew across their paper it was the first gleam to enliven a prosaic and tiresome hearing were the hindus intrusive in any way asked the coroner oh no they minded their business i've no complaint on that score did you say any of their religious practices i wouldn't call them religious quite the contrary i've seen them waving their arms and bowing to the sun and settin' in the dark staring at a glass globe with a light in it that's about all i got used to it after a while just went on about my work without taking any notice there was little more to be got from her and finally she was excused the reporters yawned the jury twitched nervously worthington vaughan was dead he had been strangled so much was clear but not a scintilla of evidence had as yet been introduced as to who had strangled him then a movement of interest ran through the crowd for a policeman came from the direction of the house accompanied by two strange figures one was the yogi in robes of dazzling white the other was his attendant wearing something more than a diaper indeed but with his thin brown legs bare the yogi bowed to goldberger with grave courtesy and at a word from the attendant policeman sat down in the witness-chair everybody was leaning forward looking at him and the cameras were clicking in chorus but he seemed scarcely aware of the circle of eager faces hold up your right hand please began goldberger after contemplating for a moment for what purpose asked the yogi i'm going to swear you i do not understand i'm going to put you an oath to tell nothing but the truth explained the coroner an oath is unnecessary said the yogi with a smile to speak the truth is required by my religion there was something impressive in the words and goldberger slowly lowered his arm what is your name he asked francisco silva you are not a hindu i am of their faith but by birth i am a portuguese born in india born at goa the coroner paused he had never heard of goa neither had i neither i judged had any one else present in this however i was wrong godfrey had heard of it and afterwards referred me to mariat's phantom ship as his source of information goa silva explained seeing our perplexity is a colony owned by portugal on the malabar coast some distance below bombay how does it come that you speak english so well i was educated at bombay and afterwards at oxford and at paris but are you by religion a hindu i am a saiva a follower of siva the lord of life and death as he spoke he touched his forehead with the fingers of his left hand there was a moment's silence goldberger's moustache i noted with a smile was beginning to suffer again you are what is called an adept he asked at last some may call me that said silva but incorrectly among my fellow saivas i am known as a white priest a yogi a teacher of the law mr vaughan was your pupil yes for six months he was my pupil in what way did you come to accept this position two years ago mr vaughan visited the monastery of our order in crete He was at that time nearly a student of Orientalism, and came to us from curiosity, but his interest grew, and after a year spent in studying the holy books, he asked that a teacher be sent to him. There was none at that time who could be spared, but six months ago, having completed a task which occupied me in Paris, I was assigned to this. "'Do you always go to so much trouble to secure converts?' questioned goldberger a little cynically usually we required that the period of study be passed at one of our monasteries but this case was exceptional in what way it was our hope explained the yogi calmly that mr vaughan would assist us in spreading the great truth by endowing a monastery for us in this country ah said goldberger looking at him did he agree to do so he did answered the yogi still more calmly this estate was to have been given to us for that purpose together with an endowment sufficient to maintain it mr vaughan himself hoped to gain the white robe and become a teacher what was to become of his daughter it was his hope that she would become a priestess of our order you hoped so too no doubt inquired goldberger sweetly i did it is an office of high honour and great influence She would walk all her days in the shadow of the Holy One. So sweet a cup is offered to few women. The number of priestesses is limited to nine. Goldberger pulled at his moustache helplessly. Evidently the witness's calm self-control was not to be broken down, or even ruffled. "'Please tell me where you were night before last,' said the coroner finally. "'I was in this house.' "'Did you see Mr. Vaughan? "'I did not.' "'How did you spend the night?' in contemplation it was as i have told you the white night of siva sacred to him from sunset to sunrise Do you mean that you spent the whole night sitting before that crystal asked the coroner incredulously that is my meaning you know nothing then of the death of mr vaughan i saw his soul pass in the night more than that i know not again goldberger twitched at his moustache he was plainly at a loss how to proceed was your attendant with you he asked at last he was in his closet at his devotions too perhaps the white knight of siva is also the black knight of kali said the yogi gravely as one rebuking an unworthy levity what do you mean by that goldberger demanded mabu is of the cult of kali who is the wife of siva said the yogi touching his forehead reverently as he spoke the words he spent the night in adoration of her attributes goldberger's stenographer was having his difficulties the pencils of the reporters were racing wildly in unison everyone was listening with strained attention there was somehow a feeling in the air that something was about to happen i saw godfrey write a line upon a sheet of paper fold it and toss it on the table in front of goldberger the coroner opened it read the line and stared at the impassive mahboob who stood beside his master with folded arms staring over the heads of the crowd "in other words" said goldberger slowly "your attendant is a thug" the yogi bowed "yes" he said calmly "mahboob is a thuggy" end of chapter 13 read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com